Coming up, readings beyond the raffle and Theoryland approved conjecture. Deep dive into the spells and scrolls of nerd culture. Absorb Stormlight. Home sympathy. Harness Sayadar and Sayadeen. This is Phantology. You may have heard of us. Welcome and thank you to our new Knights Radiant patron, Danielle. We very much appreciate your support of the podcast and hope that we continue to make you proud. All right, on to the episode. All right, what's up, Gaishine? This is Steven, Jake, and Caden, the Phantology Wheel of Time crew, bringing you another Wheel of Time episode, obviously. We're into book nine now, Winter's Heart. If you're just tuning in, Jake's, Jake is our expert. I am our host of varied knowledge, and Caden is our first-time reader, so we're kind of taking this through a lens of a first-time reader. There's not going to be any spoilers past book nine. So, Caden, I guess we just have to start. How was Winter's Heart for you? Uh, I like Winter's Heart. I think I mentioned in the last podcast that I was enjoying, I guess, what book eight more than I had the previous book, book okay. seven. I'm sorry, I can't even remember the names at this point where which book has what name. Path of Daggers, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and I agree. I, I liked Winter's Heart as well. I thought it was right on about the same level. It was shorter, uh, had a bigger ending, which was, I think, the past few books. I think it's been since really book six in that big uh, Demise Wells was kind of like the, the last big ending of a book, if I remember right. Uh, so that was exciting. Uh, overall, I, I did like it. So you need the big Sanderlange climax in order to really have a book be good. You, you require that at the, I mean, I, I'm, I'm kind of joking, but I'm also serious. Like, is that something that really makes a book good for you? 50-50. Uh, I don't think it has to be the full huge, you know, war at the end, but I do like having things happen and not just be, I think Path of Daggers, a lot of things are set up. There's no really, and it's a lot of plot set up, not so much lot of any resolution and this book there's at least some resolution which i do enjoy having some of both yeah it's kind of your classical like three act structure right at the end you have to have things come together from the previous parts of the book i'm with you i i really enjoy the sander lynch yeah and we talked about last time that path of daggers was more of a like a book for the dark friends right there weren't any like there weren't any big achievements mm-hmm. for any of the main characters which in this book, there definitely was. Like, there's a really good climax and ending to it. I'll say, too, of the endings, I think this one was the most, is written the most compellingly, if that makes sense. I thought Robert Jordan did a really good job. Kind of like, you know, in all the Sander Lanches, you're switching between points of view so rapidly, but you still get, like, a mm-hmm. whole view of what's going on. And I thought Robert Jordan did it that better in this book than he had in previous books. Or maybe I was, I'm just getting more into it, but... I like that. From his writing, I felt like he, he progressed and it was it flew it flowed better. Yeah, the whole ending sequence hops between a lot of different POVs, some more minor, and that really helps kind of describe the battle so you're not just stuck 
sing through like Rand and Nynaeve's eyes who aren't seeing everything. This way you can get the full scope of what's going on. So Sanderson was probably inspired. We need to stop being such Sanderson fanboys on these episodes, but I guess we just are. <laughs> but I, obviously he was, you know, he took some, uh, a lot of what Jordan did. So this was probably some of it. So important to know on this book that a lot of the events of Crossroads of Twilight are happening at, actually at the same time as Winter's Heart. So at the beginning, you have the Perrin chapters, and then there's nothing else for Perrin. So then some things that the Perrin stuff in the next book happens, I guess, at the same time. And there's probably some other things as well, which we'll get into more when uh, when you get to Crossroads of Twilight. But it's a little bit like, I know you haven't read this series, Jake, or Caden, Jake, you have, but it's like the Song of Ice and Fire books four yeah. and five are happening same time, two different sets of viewpoints. Yeah, it's always with series that get so big as Wheel of Time or and uh, A Song of Ice and Fire. There's just so many characters and and like the plots are so far apart and these different plot lines that are happening that I feel like authors feel like they're forced to do that because I've heard people weren't very satisfied with it in the Wheel of Time community when it first happened. And same with the Song of Ice and Fire. They like fans weren't as happy about it. Um so I, I wonder how much of it was, it's just like, you have to do that because the story is too big. It's just so wide. There's such a huge scope that yeah. it's impossible to get a arc of one book without, yeah. like, it's impossible to contain every character, but still get it into a book that is feasible and it has a nice climax for Caden. So you've got to split it up into two. I mean, yeah, that, that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. So also in, Winter's heart. Matt is back. He was absent after the wall fell on him. The previous book that was unfortunate. We missed him. And he is in the book quite a lot. I'm going to say there's four. I mean, there's really like four main plot lines. We have the Elaine plot line, the Rand plot line, the Perrin plot line, which is really just to the beginning and the Matt plot line. Unfortunately, according to the wheel of time Wikia it's mostly an Elaine book. There, there are yeah. the majority of chapters are in fact Elaine chapters and we are not huge fans of the girl, unfortunately. <laughs> Which I don't think this is the first book. It's been like the majority Elaine as well. I think in a previous podcast, we've talked about how Elaine's had several books where she's the, she's the largest percentage of screen time. I think it's, I think it's not just because it's Elaine herself, but because what her plot line is, for me, it was like, I don't really care about the politicking of Andor when the fate of the world is at stake. Mm. Like to compare it to A Song of Ice and Fire, you have these two plot lines of, you know, people maneuvering for King's Landing in the Seven Kingdoms. And then you also have the plot line of the White Walkers. And as reading like A Song of Ice and Fire, you're like, man, these people are so dumb. Like the people who are worried about King's Landing are dumb and don't get it. Like the White Walkers are coming. But here it's like, she's a main character and a protagonist that you like. And so I feel like she just didn't get like, this isn't that important in the scheme of things. But don't we care a lot more about the King's Landing stuff in A Song of Ice and Fire? Like, what is the difference? Yeah, why is it, yeah we do. Wh- why is that? Is it just the likability of the characters? I mean, we don't we don't really like the characters in Song of Ice and Fire necessarily, but maybe they're just more compelling. 
Yeah. And I think the scale is larger as well. Like King's Landing is like a, like the whole continent, whereas this is just Andor that is like, like another, another country here that doesn't even hold like that much influence overall. Yeah. I was going to say, I think it's just about the size of like, almost like the cliffhangers in Path of Daggers, right? Where you have Tarvalin's about to be under siege and you have, yeah, you have Matt that got crushed by the wall. There's like all these huge things with the Sanchan chant going on. And then like you go into this book right at the beginning and you're just in the politics of Andor, right? So like I started reading the book, I put down one book and I'm like so excited to pick up the next one. And it's like not even <laughs> addressing the points that I was like excited about. Yeah. So that I think has a little bit to do with it as well. It does split it up. I mean, we go into Perrin pretty quickly, which you said was, was a cliffhanger you were interested in. And then right. Matt, another one. So it's not like it's just a long slog through the politics. There is some jumping around. Yeah, and that happens reoccurring throughout the Wheel of Time, right? At the end of this book, there's a big cliffhanger with Matt as he leaves Abu Dhar in the next book. Picks up and it's going to do the same thing, right? We're, well, I guess you already said it's going to be from a different viewpoint at the same time, right? So Matt's not going to be a big part of that, right? Well, I mean, d- don't don't take that to mean that the characters in this book are not in the next book. It's just some events are happening same time simultaneously. But Crossroads, Crossroads of Twilight is kind of regarded. I think we told you this already, Caden, but it's it's regarded as like the worst book in the series. Yeah, in terms of pacing and everything i think books nine and ten and maybe part of eight are part of what people consider the slog after rereading i think it's mainly book 10 but how, how are you feeling having just read book nine that a lot of people say is super slow and like makes them not want to continue how are you feeling in that regard i feel pretty good i was surprised i think because yeah everyone's told me even like you know seven a little bit seven eight and nine or just read and get through it and it's worth it i felt a lot I think I already said this, but I felt more of a slog like getting through book six until the very end than I have readings book seven, eight, and nine. I think I'm a little jaded going into book 10 already just because of what people have said about it. But <laughs> I, it's taken me a little bit longer to like pick up the next one again. Yeah. Yeah. Did, didn't you say you started Dresden Files? You, you picked up the first Dresden Files book in between? Yeah, I've actually read the first. Well, I'm halfway through the second one now. They're, they're pretty quick reads. So. Yeah. Yeah. I, I did start. I am into crossroads of a twilight now though i'm gonna get three or four chapters so i've started and I'm, I'm getting through it well i'm sure jake i'm sure you're excited to hear that caden has put down wheel of time in or favor dresden of files. dresden files because uh, jake is a known dresden hater so i'm not really i'm not really a hater but um <laughs> i have this weird relationship with it because i i don't get the huge hype for it i've read the first two and i was like i understand what they're don't know their top qualities are and i'm just like i don't feel a need to continue but at the same time they're like our most popular content (laughs) as phantology so i'm like wait can we do a a little or a dresden files plug here to get this episode more views (laughs) we have told you that you have to wait and read more into the series the first few are not as strong the the series gets better and better but you you just don't trust us or something I, i don't know what's going on here there's just so many other things that I would rather read compared to that. And like, and it's not that I have anything against Jim Butcher. I really liked his Codex Alira books. Like, I think he's a good writer. And I, I think in Dresden Files, he's a good writer. It's just not really the style I'm interested in. And to be fair, I listened to, I think I listened to both of them. 
and I was not a fan of the narrator. He was just too overly dramatic and lots of humming and hawing. Could handle it. All right. That's Jake's <laughs> defense. I'll say they're, they're very <laughs> different styles and it's really hard to compare the two books. Yeah. They're, yeah. I get a lot of instant gratification from reading the first Dresden Files where Wheel of Time is the long game. I think I've been at this for like a year and a, coming up on a year and a half reading Wheel of Time here. And I'm, oh, wow. I'm just getting excited for the, you know, yeah. the last. Uh, it's funny, your book nine out of, out of uh, 14, 15, if you count New Spring, it feels like you're, you're almost done. But I think it's because when I was reading it, I think Crossroads of Twilight was the most recent book for such a long time for my journey in reading it. So like book nine and 10, I'm like, oh, that's like almost the end, but you're like just over halfway. <laughs> well, the last three is supposed to just be one book. So according yeah, to Robert true. Jordan's initial plan, he is pretty close. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, we can jump back in it. So, so you're not really feeling like this is much of a slog. So that's, that's good. I think, I think it's one of those things where like you read it, you read it so much. And so the parts you don't like, you know what I mean? When you're rereading it, like you don't like even more because you like know what's going to happen later. So I think there's some of that bias there. And I, unfortunately, I think veterans of the series have put this bias out there to new people reading. So it's, it's nice to see that that isn't your take on it. I will, I will say it's, they're not a, like one through five or I think a little are better than seven through nine. Right. But that right. said, I haven't been like dreading books seven through nine. Yeah. Um, which, yeah, is the perception you're talking about, right? That like, mm-hmm. yeah, that like you can well, barely like you just have to like, it's a chore to get through. Yeah, they say like seven through 10. Is it? You know, they even include book 11, which is so dumb. People say like, oh, seven onwards, it's bad until Brandon Sanderson picks up. But book 11 is such a, an amazing book. Robert Jordan really nailed his last book he wrote in. Anyways, rant over. <laughs> Jake is very much against the Sanderson fanboys who have the opinion that he saved the series it's just factually incorrect i <laughs> i i love sanderson as an author i think people people are like blinded they don't realize the weaknesses that he has in some of his stuff and it's just a shame that they think oh yeah good thing sanderson finished it because robert jordan was just going to tank it anyways when, when you read knife of dreams this is my promise when you read Knife of Dreams, you're going to be like, wow, that's a return to form. That was a really good book. Yeah, I was talking to someone at work who said the same thing. And this person is a Sanderson fanboy a little bit. Uh-huh. He said, yeah, Knife of Dreams is Robert Jordan yeah. goes out with a bang. Good to hear. <laughs> Don't be hating on all those Sanderson fanboys. <laughs> yeah. Ironically, Caden, you know this. My dad is reading Wheel of Time as well. He's probably been at it about as long as you have, maybe, possibly longer. <laughs> He's on Lord of Chaos right now, which is book six. <laughs> so the same part that you said was tough for you. And he, he's been slowing down. He's been slowing down greatly. So I'm hoping he can continue going. I'm hoping he has the same experience where the next books pick up for him again. Otherwise, he may not make it. I'm concerned. So book six has definitely been the hardest one for me to get through so far of the whole series. So, Did you guys ever play with uh, Hot Wheels? like the racetracks that you build and they had like that booster yeah. section you could add. That was like oh, battery sure. okay. powered. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. that way you could like, it's like going across the track and then it helps it go. I feel like the end at the end of a lot of the books from like six onwards, 
are like those booster pad things where it's like, like most of book six, you're like, what's really happening? And then that huge climax for me was like, okay, now I'm ready to go for the next one. And that's how I kind of felt like most of the climaxes were from there on out until like the last four books, which was more high speed, more similar to like books one through four. I had a, I'd say a moment like that, even within book or Winter's Heart was when the chapter where Tuan is introduced, where you've just been coming from all of Elaine stuff and they introduce this character where they don't so, say who it is. And at the end of the chapter, they're like, oh yeah, the daughter of the nine moons. And I like, I think I texted Steven. I was just like, uh, oh, here it is. Finally. Like, yeah. yeah, I was super pumped. I'm like, okay, here we go. I'm into this now, like even more than I was. So The Matt prophecy fulfillments are really good. Those are some of yeah. my favorite parts. And, and you're getting into some, there's going to be more. That, that's good stuff it, stuff that's been building up for books that you've been wondering about when it finally happens like like you say that's the long game payoff that you get from wheel of time maybe with two on right she's such a mystery still throughout the whole book like you know it's still building like it's just like dropped a little bit in front of you you know who she is a little bit and you don't really know a lot about her still and in the conflict at the end she like fights with matt and you're like wow this girl can hold her hold her own and that's cool and so you're still just like, wow, who is this person and how's this going to play out? Before before you find out she was a daughter of the nine moons, had you really, how much thought have you been giving to all these like prophecies, mostly regarding Matt, but other characters and like the end of the series? Have you really like been speculating there? It's, it's a different experience because all the books are written. Whereas when I was reading them, they were still coming out. So there I had lots of downtime to be like, mm-hmm. what does this mean? You know, like what's going to happen here? Did you Did you like have any guesses who it would be? I don't, I don't think I really, I'm trying to think back. I don't know if I really paid enough attention because I've been going through it so quick that I, yeah. I don't think I did have a lot of, of speculation. And I don't think there's anything in the previous books that would have told me she was one of the Sanchan. I'm trying to remember. I think there actually is. It's like, but I think it's bef- before, I can't remember if it was before he hears that about himself or if it was um, just very much in passing, but I think there was. Yeah, I I, that, that sounds familiar because I remember, I, I thought there was something from a previous review where I wanted to ask you about it. Caden was like, I don't want to spoil it. So we decided not to, yeah. but. I think you maybe even brought it up and I was like, I don't yeah. Yeah. remember. And and it's not, it doesn't point it too on directly because she's not really introduced yeah. until now. Yeah, but I think it does point at the Sean Chan. Yeah, I think it says something like, like the, the court of the nine moons or something like that. Something like that in passing, like really. I definitely didn't see it coming when I first read them. And, and yeah, she's, but going back to what you said about Tuan, she is such an interesting character because she has, I don't know, she has, she's such a realized character. Like she's so, I don't know, like mischievous and almost outside of, like out of the norm for most of the other Shan Chan. You know, most of them are so like rigid and probably because of her position in there, she can be herself. She's not really worried about all the other people because they're all below her. Mm-hmm. I, I just remember at the end of the book, I was like, man, she's going to be a really good match for Matt. I did think that as well. Yeah, you kind of see that. I'm like, I was glad someone that can hold their own against Matt. And Yeah. How's it going to work, though? I mean, she's... Well, definitely Empress. left up in the air. Yeah. And he kidnaps her, right? And just like, hey, you're, you're my wife, by the way, which very subtle. <laughs> the scenes earlier, too, where she offers to buy him from Thailand and then wants to buy his Hashandari. How are you, is that how you say his I cool think so, yeah. 
Yeah. So yeah. when, yeah, those, those kind of flesh her out a little bit and then you'll see later on, but yeah, like Jake said, she is definitely better, one of the better female characters in the series. And it's almost a shame that she doesn't pop up until now because yeah. she, she's really good. She, we, we could have done with her more, I think in earlier books. Okay, going off the let's go off the prophecy thing a little more. Maybe maybe you don't have a great yeah. answer to this, Caden. But so that prophecy is fulfilled to some degree. We think we know at least how it's going to be fulfilled. What other things are kind of on your like? What wh- what is in the horizon for you that you're hoping is answered? Like, what what are you most curious about? Prophecies or just like mysterious events in general? One. Uh... Okay, I can't even remember. This is, I thought it was about Perrin, but now I'm starting to wonder if it's Matt. Something about losing half the light to save. That's Matt. That Matt? Yeah. Okay, so that's a Matt uh-huh. one. Giving up half the light of the world to save the world. That is a. Yeah. Uh, that's like my favorite prophecy, actually. I'm going to go on record and say that fulfillment is, is pretty awesome. Okay. I have no idea what's going to happen, but I feel like it could have something to do with Rand dying. I feel like Rand has to die in the end. And this is, you know, could be completely wrong here. So just put it out there for, since I'm a first time reader, maybe it's interesting, but. Mm. That was something we talked about a lot in the beginning, like the first four or five books, like trying to get your, your thoughts on like, is he going to have to die or can he save the world without dying? He's pretty much convinced at this point, he's going to have to die. Right. Well, I thought he was, I was for sure that he was going to die just with like the taint now that the taint has been removed. Oh yeah. Yeah. It opens that up more for me that now I'm like, Oh man, I'm not as sure that he has to die. That was another thing. Last episode, he kept talking about trying to cleanse the taint and we asked you and you're like, I don't, I think he said yeah. you didn't think it was going to happen. Right. I, I was really shocked. Okay. And I, yeah, I was talking to you about t- this. Yeah. Uh-huh. Me too. When I first read it, I was like, what? I did not think this would even be possible. It happened pretty quick. Yeah, and that's that was my thing. Like we we spent four books on the maybe it wasn't four, maybe it was three on Bull of the Winds, right? It just seems like everything in this in the series has been taking a long time. And so me thinking like, okay, he says he's gonna cleanse Sidene. I'm thinking this is happening in book thirteen, right? Yeah. Like maybe near the end when the big battle comes, right? So to have mm-hmm. it happen in this book, I was pretty shocked at the end, even during the battle when all said was done that Sidene was cleansed. I think if you go on a reread, you'll see some hints for him trying to figure out if it is possible and if it is like how to do it. So there's like hints, like he talked to, I think he talked to that scholar who was assassinated. Um, I think he said something about, Oh, is it you have to fell Herod fell something like that. Something like that. Yeah. I can remember yeah. his name, but I think it was him. He talked about, and there's a quote that Rand repeats after talking to him saying like, Oh, it has to be, I don't remember the line exactly, but basically the idea that he needs to use something like Shadar Logoth that is a different mm-hmm. evil to kind of insulate um, and repel against the evil of the Dark One and stuff like that. Yeah, the way it, the way it happens is really cool. Yeah, and and then what? Like halfway through, he talks to Nynaeve and says like, hey, I figured this out. Yeah. Can help me. I think one other thing is it, it happens really quickly after everything that goes down in fire matting and all of a sudden, like, okay, now's the time. We're gonna, we're gonna go do it. And yeah. maybe Rand feels like he has to be that, like, kind of unpredictable to get away from his enemies who are, like, fairly omniscient. Like he's dealing with this forsaken. I mean, not omniscient, but 
he's dealing with people who who have spies everywhere and have a lot of magical abilities that let them know what he's doing. So he, I think he is smart in thinking that he's got to be pretty unpredictable. Like, okay, now's the time. Go, go, go. Especially for something that big. Like, I think the Forsaken didn't even think it was possible, but it is such a huge thing that the Dark One did and would have earlier sent everything they had to stop it. They do get warned about it. Like, Morden tells them, like, hey, Rand is going to try to do this. You guys need to be ready. But I don't think they'd necessarily believe that it could really yeah. happen until it's happening. Yeah. You mentioned, Stephen, that it was cool how it's happened. Let's see if Caden can give us his perspective of what he understood <laughs> and like this, the science behind um, <laughs> how the, the taint, the sidene was cleansed of the taint. How soft versus hard magic y was it and, and how it worked? Yeah. I'll be honest. You guys, I already like. I I did not understand it at yeah. all, and you guys already <laughs> just like explained more than like I understood already on this podcast. So <laughs> no he, worries, he uses <laughs> he uses Sidar to make this like conduit, right mm-hmm. through which Sidine can flow. And Jake, you probably understand even more than I do. But in in doing this, he connects what the Dark One evil with the Shadow Logoth evil, and uh-huh. lets them kind of duke it out and that gets rid of the taint or what exactly yeah happens? so it's it's kind of like so his his whole thing was trying to figure out like you'd have to use sidar to do it because sidene is tainted so you can't use what is dirty to clean itself you know mm-hmm. but he was like if we use sidar then it's going to have to touch sidene which is tainted and it would just cause the same issue to happen to sidar like how do you how do you get rid of it with out causing more issues and whatever that quote was from Herod fell or whatever said something if i remember right it's kind of like a magnet how the evil of shadar logoth and the evil of the dark one are like opposites so they're attracted to each other in that sense and so yeah like sidar sidar was like a conduit and then because they're at shadar logoth that was like leeching off the taint and then that's why Shatter Logoth at the end was just destroyed into a crater because it was mm-hmm. kind of like matter and antimatter hit each other and this evil and then annihilated each other. Comment below how off we are in that description yeah. and clarify for us. <laughs> I, it sounds like we're close. You're, you're close, at least. You're, you're adjacent yeah. to what happened. Google, Google some theories on it or some like explanations. It's, it's more detailed. But that, it was definitely something I like read over and over to try to understand wait what what was happening here because it doesn't like give you a ton of explanation right in like a upfront exposition but are there it is any an moments are there any moments where rand is thinking about this and then he's like thinking on the two wounds that he has which are the same two evils that are like warring against each other like that seems like it could be a good kind of navel gazy way of telling the reader what's going on I think that was one of the foreshadowing for sure was with those two wounds and how they're fighting each other. Sounds like we could have used more of it though, because as a reader, you want to understand. And it sounds like it just wasn't quite explicit for, for some reason. I liked it. I liked it. It was, I feel like it was a good, a good way to let, like there's so many theories on if it was going to be done and how it'd be done. And I, I don't know. I thought it was really well done. Well, I think we'd like the way, but I think, 
like Caden would have preferred more explanation, a little, little more clarity, at least maybe at the end. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I, I just figured something magic happened. I mean, that's kind of like the beginning too. Like, at the, you know, I'm thinking back to book one, right? At the, they go to Teleron Riode for a lot of like those battles in the early part and you have no idea what happens until later on. Mm-hmm. I think that's just how Robert Jordan is though. Yeah. I mean, yeah, he, he definitely, he likes to put the clues in. Like uh, he told everyone that they should have been able to figure out who killed Asmodian right away. He said it was very obvious, but in <laughs> fact, it's definitely not. <laughs> That kind of keeps me up at night still. I think this was done way better than the Asmodian thing. I think this was like the perfect balance of you don't know ahead of time just off the bat. But once it's over, you can go back and like, oh, these were like these hints for it. And this all makes sense within the world. I don't think you necessarily have to be able to predict it like how it's going to be for it to be a good um, foreshadowing. Jake, so I'm curious, you kind of mentioned like, potentially if Sidar touched Sidine, that it would be tainted too. And I know, you know, Rand's nervous that he can't pull this off, that he would fail. Was any of his worrying that he would just kill the one power for everyone? Or was that, is that just me reading into kind of what you're saying and, and none of the I think that was, was part of it? I think that was like the main issue behind it. I mean, obviously, I don't know how much thought went into like, how do you cleanse it in general, you know? But I think the main question was, how do we do this without making a bigger issue? You know, yeah, I think that was a big part of it, which is why Nynaeve, like they had to use Sidar, which is why Nynaeve led the circle, right? And why she got, yeah, Rand, Rand entrusted her with the other Chodian call figurine statuette, which broke. That stinks. I mean, we had this awesome magical artifact that let us channel like untold amount of power and now it's gone. And at least- Very the, convenient. The, well, the, I, did I say Sidine? I mean, the Sidar one, obviously. This the ID one survived conveniently, although Cad Swain swiped it, could be a problem. <laughs> I mean, and the the actual Chodan call, or I don't know, is that what the big statues are called, or is that just the what let them access them? Well, the statues are the the Sangreals, right? This, yeah, the statues are called the Chodan call. The other ones are called the access keys. Okay, because those are I still thought, around, right? Really? It was just okay. the, the access keys that, that broke, or one of the access keys that broke, right? I thought the access keys were the Choden call and that it was to access the giant Sangreals that didn't necessarily um, have names. Is that wrong? According to the wiki, it says the Choden call are two giant Sangreal that were created during the War of Power. Yeah, okay. Well, that, this is why Jake is our Wheel of Time expert. <laughs> I'm half expecting this to be Jake's personal wiki as well, not the... <laughs> no, I've put, I've, I've spent a lot of time on this wiki. I've put no none of my knowledge there. I'm, <laughs> I'm just a noob who reads it, but... Anyway, uh, the action. Okay, let's talk about the action of the of the event with the Forsaken that were around. This is like the largest gathering of Forsaken we've seen. Well, we've seen them sitting around in their you know plush fireplace and uh, and hanging out and being evil. But now we're actually seeing them all fighting. Some fighting to different degrees. By my count, we had six. Is that is that right? We have Demandred or Demandred, Grandel, Arangar, Osangar. Sindane and Mogidian. Is there are there any other ones lurking around? Moradin. Well, but he's well, not actually he was in there the, at the Yeah. Was he not actually there? I don't think so. He just has his his cronies go. That seems like a big oversight. <laughs> yeah. Well, especially 
defending uh, Mogideon because she just kind of like, I mean, her her point of view is just like, I'm going to go hide in the trees. Like, I don't think she did a single thing. So. No, she she doesn't. Yeah, total. She lesson. like, didn't she like not want to because she was like, she's like, I'm not going to do this now or something like that. I could be remembering. I think that she wrong. said Morden will never know that I didn't do anything. I'm just going to go. Yeah. <laughs> So we find out that Osengar was Deshiva uh, the whole time. He's killed. We find out that Sindane is Lanfear, which I think, like, you should have been able to kind of figure out a little bit. But, like, that wasn't a huge shocker, was it? Well, so I, w- I mean, that's who I thought it was. And then the last book, there's a part where they're like, oh, yeah, Sindane is weaker than Lanfear. Like, they explicitly say that, which mm-hmm. made me think, okay, well, so I thought it was Lanfear, but it's not because they said that. And it turns out it's just Lanfear, but weaker. So I was, I felt a little gypped on the foreshadowing there. Do you understand why she's a little bit weaker? She no. thinks, I know she, she thinks about this a little bit. She thinks back to when the, it's either Just the snakes the, or the foxes, which, whichever one yeah, she visits. The elephant. Yeah, leech out some of her power. That's why she's weaker. Gotcha. That makes sense. Yeah, so there, there's a canon, like there's a real reason for it. And I think it was also used as a misdirect to make you yeah. like, not really sure if it's her, but you're like, wait, it has to be right. But there's a discrepancy there. Yeah, I was misdirected. That said, I don't feel that bad about it because it still doesn't feel like that big of a plot point that I mean, you find out who these people are, but it's not earth shattering, I think. Maybe, maybe it is. Maybe I don't. I mean, the, the fact that Landfair is back, that's that's important. I mean, she was a pretty big force in the early books and she's still obsessed with Luz Theron, obviously. I was still was yeah. hoping Moraine would uh, show up again. But if, if uh, the Dark One's the one bringing the souls back, then it's not likely. Yeah, interesting. How does that work with the philosophy and, like, religion? That, like, the creator obviously can with the heroes of the horn and things like that. But then also the Dark One's called the Lord of the Grave. So it seems like they both have the power. But why... Why doesn't the creator do that more? <laughs> Why does the, one create, the creator is very hands off. Yeah, laissez fair <laughs> all that. But something that I didn't really understand the first time reading it through is I thought if someone was bail fired, they could not be reborn at all. I thought they were like out of the pattern because it talks about like the thread being like plucked, but they'll still be reborn. It just means the dark one can't bring them back. Oh really? So that's so when when the when the wheel spins again to the next age, they could come back. Yeah, yeah, they'll come back. But that's why the Forsaken numbers are going down. And I thought it like they're going down just because they were like obliterated from reality in general. But there's there's something I read recently within like the past year that confirmed that the like they'll be reborn. Um, going back to sorry, I have like another prophecy thing just because we talked about like the mechanics of cleansing Sidene and some of the prophecies with Matt. I know there's been talk of this and like prophecies and epilogues or prologues and stuff like that. Something about the three becoming one and like that's key to um, the last battle. Do you have any idea what that means? I had so many theories for this. (laughs) I hope I don't disappoint you by saying I don't really. The only thing that comes to mind is the bond with three yeah. yeah, all three of them bonding grand. I, I'm trying to think if there's anything else off the top of my head. Yeah, I don't want to really say all my theories because I don't want to leave one out or include one that is the truth. But that, yeah, I definitely thought about that as well. There's like three different powers kind of going on, right? With Sidene, Sidar, and then the Dark One's power too. I'll think about it, Jake. 
get back. Yeah. I, I had a, I had a theory is like, maybe, and then I, I could like, this is fine, but this isn't real. But I was like, maybe Avienda men and Elaine all share like a third of Ileana's soul. And that's why they're all like marrying Rand and they're going to like do a fusion ha from Dragon Ball Z and become Ileana again. Like, I don't know why I, I thought that was going to be a <laughs> big point. There's like, no, there's no evidence for that, but that was me trying to wrap my head around the, the polygamy going on. <laughs> and you can't, uh, you can't tell Caden what's not going to happen. Maybe, maybe he was honing in on that same theory. That was number one on my list. I feel like it was a far-fetched and dumb enough theory that I thought as a first-time reader that it's, it's fine letting people know that that isn't yeah. real. I'm not offended. So the polygamy thing is a thing now with men at the end yeah. and Elaine. They both, they, they triple bond Rand and Elaine has one of her best lines where she demands to have a brand <laughs> what her what her sisters have had. <laughs> And men in Avienda are okay with it. And um, I, I don't know, like, do we need, should we even get into this? Because this is one plot point that I, I doesn't like sit well, super, super well with me, but I usually just kind of like brush aside and be like, yeah, it's kind of weird, but yeah. I mean, that's why happens. I had the Ileana theory. That's why I had the, the, the three in one yeah. Ileana theory. You, you were trying to, you were trying to make it better. <laughs> well, I don't know. I think it's also interesting how, this is just like a thought I've had, like a philosophical thing. In our society, polygamy is very much looked down upon. But at the same time, polyamory is like more accepted nowadays. And I don't really see the big difference there. I know at polygamy is some much commitment with the with polygamy. Yeah. Yeah. And and like polyamory, there is as well. Like mean, polygamy is a version of that where it's one male with multiple women, whereas polyamory could be any sort of combination. And I know in the Rafe Judkins, the um, showrunner for the Wheel of Time adaptation has said it's mm-hmm. going to be more polyamory than polygamy. But uh, like, let us know in the comments and Caden, let me know your thoughts if you feel any different. But like, is there really a difference between that? Is it weird that our culture right now sees polygamy as bad, but polyamory is like, oh yeah, that should be okay. I don't know. And the one thing I'd say here is in the IEL culture already, it's okay, right? So yeah. at least on Avienda's side, it's like kind of normal. And technically Rand is kind of IEL, right? He's half IEL, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe we'll do a quarter since he wasn't raised in the culture. So he all loses right, half right. of his IELness. <laughs> so maybe it's less of a, a weird thing. I mean, I think it's still weird. Even in, in Will of Time, I think people think it's weird, right? But yeah. A little bit less just because of that that cultural impact there yeah and it's interesting how it's done where it's very much them like going to him and saying this is how it's going to be done which i think a lot of the reason in, in real life culture that polygamy is looked down upon is because it's seen as um kind of male dominant done in, and, yeah, yeah yeah done in a patriarchal way whereas i i could tell robert jordan was trying to like upend that you know yeah that that, that is a good point yeah how could polygamy exist in a society that is already like more matriarchal than ours is? Hmm. But yeah, so they do that continuing on. Um, <laughs> they do that. And then um, Avienda men and Brigida, all three of them have to go get drunk, right. To not think about. Right. Not feel what's going on. Cause 
is so Avienda and Lane are first sisters now. So they've done a special bond that way. And all three of them are bonded to Ran. Is I don't think Min is first sisters with them. Is she? No. No. So Min can feel Rand's like ran through the bond. Avienda can feel Elaine and Rand. And Brigida can feel Elaine. So they're all this like hodgepodge. And then Alana, Alana's out there somewhere <laughs> feeling Rand as well. I always forget about Alana. No, Alana's she, she fainted, right? So she was Oh, did yeah, yeah, yeah. She fainted right when they they bonded him, right? Yeah. Yeah. Was she there? Maybe she was out. I can't remember. <laughs> Yeah. She's not, no, she's not. I don't. I don't believe she's there. Yeah. So I guess Min, Min is a little bit on the outside here. She doesn't have the same level of bond that Avienda and Elaine do. Well, just to each other, like she's on equal footing in terms of Rand. Well, yeah, but she's also getting all the FaceTime with Rand right now. So for the most yeah. part, right? Is interesting. I didn't. I didn't really expect for some reading that you would be able to bond. Well, I guess that makes sense. I was like, but Min doesn't. She can't channel. But I'm like, warders can't channel and they're bonded. Yeah. But they bonded. Did they bond? They just bonded Rand. They bonded Rand as, as a warder. Yeah. yeah. Rand didn't bond them, which we've, I, th- we, I think we've seen examples of that already, right? Of mm-hmm. um, male channelers bonding women. And it's a different, like it's done differently and it's a different right. kind of connection. So that's interesting. Like somehow men, even though she couldn't channel, she bonded Rand when he, Rand could have bonded her. Tune in next time for Jake's scientific <laughs> explanation of how that one works. Love triangles and the wheel of time. Love mm. quadrilaterals. I was going to say a little bit bigger. Yeah. <laughs> All right. What else happens in Rand's storyline? So we go, uh, the, the rest of it turns into before we do the, the cleansing, it is the hunting of the rogue Ashaman, which takes mm. him to far matting, which is an interesting city where channeling is not possible for the most part because of these huge Tarangrel, which basically turned the whole thing into a giant steading. Um, how was this for you, Caden? Like, was it too much of a gimmick thing that wasn't super important or did you find it interesting? Like it kind of sandwiches a lot of the other action. And I don't know, for me, like the rogue Ashman, do they really seem that important compared to everything else that's going on? The only thing I wondered was like, would they, I didn't know if they were, I don't know if these rogue Ashaman were dark friends or just trying to kill Rand because they want, you know, want him out of the yeah. way. It's, it's kind of, yeah, it's kind of vague in that sense. You're like, you know, they're antagonists. And, and this is a lot with the antagonists in the middle of time. Like in such a black and white world with like good and evil, a lot of the antagonists, you don't know, are they evil, evil, or do they just have different goals? Right. And so that one of the things that I'm like, it makes sense if Rand wants to get rid of them before he goes to cleanse Sidine, just so he doesn't have four more people trying to come kill him while he's doing it. So I didn't yeah. know if that was the inspiration. I do agree. I thought the action, I liked the fight with him and Rochide. Yeah, the one that he kills. Yeah, I thought, I was a little disappointed that there wasn't more. I mean, like, Paul and Thane is there the entire time. And it kind of seems like that whole thing just kind of fell apart. So I was expecting throughout there to be a bigger... I guess I wasn't yeah. really expecting Sidine to get cleansed yet, and I was expecting something bigger to happen between Pod and Fane and, and Rand in mm-hmm. the city. Like Fane sets up this ambush, but it doesn't really get a hit in and just kind of runs away and the house collapse and and then they're done with farm adding after Catswing yeah. gets them out of there. It it felt kind of like a DD side quest, you know? Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> like something bigger is looming and we can't get there yet. So let's go do this. 
Uh-huh. That was a cool bit of like world building with the Tyrone Grail that prevents you from channeling. And then also how Cad Swain had those like, what did she refer to? The like kind of like the wells. The wells. Yeah, yeah. The wells that allowed her to channel. But if you've ever played the Lost Minds of Phandelver campaign in D&D, it felt very much like, for some reason, the, the Storming the Red Guard's house, for anyone who's played that campaign. <laughs> very specific memory. That's what it, when we played that campaign, Steven and I played it together. When we played it together, that's like the setting that came to mind was this farm adding place. It's like you want to do the main thing, but the, the dungeon master's like, no, you can't do the main thing yet. You got to do the other thing. It's almost or, like you're for, being forced into it. For me, it was it was more like, I want to do this main thing, but I could just grind and kill these low-level PCs, right? Or <laughs> NPCs right here and, and get some loot first. Yeah, pick it's up like, some loot and some easy experience. <laughs> yeah, like how do I'm getting, it's kind of like Breath of the Wild when you're like, I got to go cleanse this divine beast, but I just found this, I don't know. Yeah. Got to go take out this little, you know, encampment yeah. of, of moblins, right? Like that's yeah. more important right now. We got to do that. <laughs> the one thing that I think did come out of this overall for the story was this is where Rand and Catwain finally start to get along. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So I think that was, if nothing else, I think that's a larger story point that came from the side quest that will play a bigger part later on. <sighs> really want, want to talk more about Cat Swain, but I don't want to until probably the end of the series um, and just what your thoughts are in her, her whole point in the, in the series. I think she plays a, an interesting role. I think another cool thing here is, was it the last book where he rescued the Damani or the Soldom or whatever they're called? And the, she's with them in Farmatting. I can't remember her name. It's like, it starts with an A, right? Is it? Yeah. Alina? She's the super powerful one, right? Olivia. Yeah, super Olivia. Yeah, she's like more powerful than than any other, like more powerful than Nynaeve, than anyone really. And I, I don't know. I thought she was an interesting character of like, do you really trust her? Do you not? Because she's so powerful and also used to be on the enemy side. But I think she proves proves herself to this point in this part of the book. So we're already long on time, but uh, we do want to yeah. just kind of jump into the other plot points at least a little bit. So the parent part, it was all at the beginning. Events real quick. So he takes off after Fayil, Alejandre, and Morghese. And he's got his camp. The camp's got a bunch of different loyalties, including Masima, who he finds out is meeting with the Shan Chan for some reason. And the Shan Chan are lurking nearby. And in the meantime, Fayil has become a guy shine to Savannah, like a personal servant of hers. She becomes embroiled in the politics of that camp immediately, which is probably a good thing for her. Like now she's got people, she's playing people off each other. She's got that, that uh, possibility. So things are maybe not terrible for her, but she is still captured. But it is bad for Perrin because he gets uh, involved with Barrelane, or at least the, the whole camp thinks that he has now slept with Bear Lane while his wife is missing. And what's your opinion on this? Because I think it's super lame that the camp immediately like assumes that this would have happened. Like, come on, like trust parent a little bit. Yeah. I mean, I think the circumstances too, like you, they pull him back, like half frozen to death. Right. Like, yeah, it's like, this. It, I, I think a, it's, it's annoying to me that they, they assume this of him. I think a lot of it's like poorly, poorly executed like there's no real development for me to see 
when his wife is gone, he would think I need to confide in Bear Lane so much, you know, to get to a point where people would even start those rumors. And then also like, I guess I could see there'd always been some sort of rumor like Bear Lane would spread rumors possibly about them, but she was fine with it. <laughs> I was, I was just like, why? I don't know. Like, how does that make sense that I don't know. Like I could see going to her for advice of what to do next. Cause she's experienced, but like he basically like, it seems like he goes to her to be comforted because he's so sad. Right. And that just didn't really make sense to me. Like there wasn't enough setup for that to feel realistic. It did feel like, so there's a part where Perrin leaves the tent and there's like two of Bear Lane's maids, or I don't know what they are. And they're all giggly in it. it that scene to me made it seem like they were the ones spreading their rumors. Uh, I can't remember exactly yeah. what goes down, but that was the impression I left. Right. So it did seem like Bear Lane was intentionally spreading those rumors that it wasn't just the camp. People are happy to jump on gossip. Right. And that happens all throughout the wheel of time. So. Yeah. That, yeah. It is the theme of the series. How rumors spread and how information is misunderstood yeah that's fair so we leave yeah. off with Perrin the parent parents pause on him we'll pick up in the next book so Matt we we, t- we already talked about kind of the two on things some of the things that were going on there but most of his plot revolved around getting once again embroiled in a plan to save women that uh, need his help which is helping these Aes Sedai who are stuck there with the Shan Chan all around this goes somewhat successful I mean, he, he gets away, he has to take two on, which he was not planning on doing. But overall, it's kind of a fun little... I mean, it's nice to have Matt back, and he's a fun character to follow. I, I enjoyed his escape here. I enjoyed most of his plotline in Ebudar. Yeah, nothing else really too notable. He fights the Golom once in this book again. Um, oh, he does pick character. up a new... Yeah, his new character. New buddy. Yeah. Noel, yeah. right? No, yeah, yep. So don't know who he is yet, really. Yeah, he's kind of mysterious and, you know, just happens to show up and he's helpful. Yeah. And the night that yeah. Matt leaves, he coincidentally shows up again. It's like, oh, you're leaving? Same. You know, it's like, let's mm-hmm. I'll tag along. So not suspicious in the slightest. No, definitely <laughs> not. Yeah. All right. Um, and then, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, Jake, Jake, Jake's opinion. Sorry. Oh, sorry. I was just, I feel like Matt is like mainly co- comedic relief for this book. And then I thought it was cool how the most of the Aes Sedai he's trying to save are actually on the tower side. And so on like part of the series, you have like rebels versus the tower and you're definitely on the rebel side, but mm-hmm. this was showing, you know, like kind of showing that there's good people on both sides. And so I thought that was a cool aspect of it. Because now we're against the Shan Chan who seem like they're, you know, just our antagonist, but then we have Tuan who's part of the Shan Chan who we like. So there's all sorts of different shades cast on all the different mm-hmm. factions. Okay, then the Elaine part, we talked about it a little bit. The politics happen. She gets she gets drugged with forkroot and almost assassinated, but she's killed or not killed, she's saved <laughs> from being killed by uh by David Hanlon, who seems shady. Nice him. Yeah, he's very shady. That's nice for him to save Elaine, but at the same time, we definitely don't trust this guy, so he could be trouble going forward and then uh what she meets with Egwene. Egwene's not in this book hardly at all but she does meet with her there she allows the borderlanders to cross Andor, and then she learns at the end that the other claimants to the throne will be besieging camelin soon and politics continue 
exciting. Wasn't, didn't men give her a viewing in this book or is that in the next one? She, as far as being pregnant. Yeah. Yeah. That happens. Yeah. So yeah. I can't remember if that plays uh, a role in this book at all or mainly the next one. I mean, it's kind of small. People know she's pregnant because of men. And so they like, it, they just tell her like, oh, make sure you're eating this or this or get your rest and stuff like that. I don't know the impact you're, you're thinking about, but it's- Okay, maybe it's the next you one. Basically know she's, you know she's pregnant and that's about it, I think in this book. It is Jake, yeah, it's later. Okay, cool, cool. Anything else worth mentioning for Elaine? I'm gonna say she, she has her moment. We talked about when they bond Rand and she demands her, her, her right. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Pretty funny. She wants her far snows experience. Yeah. <laughs> a little forced. Uh, yes. Oh, man. I think one thing, okay, I'll, I'll give Elaine something here. She does a good job of putting people that she can trust in positions where they're going to help her out. Like in this regard, mm-hmm. I think she's a better leader than Rand. Like she deals well, sure. with, she deals with Egwene and says, you know, Egwene, here's the situation. Let's, let's work together. Let's help each other out. She talks with the Borderlanders and gets them to kind of, you know, to manipulate events in her favor. She gets Brigitte to be in charge of her Queen's Guard. And I think there's probably some others, the other examples, but unlike Rand, who can't trust anyone, and some of it yeah. is circumstances, but on the same time, like, you know, Elaine's also in a position of power where people are coming after her. So I just think in general, Rand is a poor job of this and Elaine does a much better job. Yeah, but I think it's totally justified for Rand after how many times he's been betrayed or yeah, tricked. Yeah, I mean, he's got definite PTSD over all that. So, yeah. And he doesn't have the experience where she's been raised to know how to delegate and, and get things done and lead. Cool. So moving on to the uh, top three and bottom three. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Closing segment. I, I think I, we didn't spend as much time talking about the actual plot points of the book, but I think the other, you know, the conversation at the beginning was more interesting. Let's, uh, yeah. okay. So top three, bottom three from this book only. If you want to bring up any other plot points, now's the time to sneak them in to your top three or bottom three. Who's starting off? As I'll, we all I'll start. Kind of, yeah. We're all trying to frantically come up with ours. Yeah, yeah. Jake, Jake's got his, yeah. Top three. Oh no, no. I'm doing bottom. Th- we're doing bottom, okay, bottom three first. Yeah. Bottom, bottom three first. That's right. <laughs> So I'm going to say number three. So the, the least worst would be Patton Fane, just because, I mean, he's there in farm matting, but it could have been, I feel like he was underutilized there. It could have been cooler. Yep. And then next, oh, I was going to say um, Perrin. Just come on, man. Like, so disappointing that like the whole uh, Bear Lane thing and just, I don't know. But number not, one, yeah, not leading well, unfortunately. Number one worst character isn't a main character, but just fails so spectacularly. Um, it's kind of a combo with Davram, or no, not Davram, Dashiva and Elza, just because they were like the miscommunication, or I guess Dashiva, who is Osangar, right? Is he's been hiding under this alias as Dashiva and Ashaman. He's so close to, to Rand and during the fight when they're cleansing Sidene, he goes to try to like kill Rand and gets killed because he's mistaken as an Ashaman. So his whole like, his whole disguise totally backfires on him and he's just bail fired. Because Elsa's, Elsa's a dark friend. Yeah. Yeah. So she, right. yeah, she's, yeah. she sees Osangar as Dashiva and thinks, oh, this is a, uh, um, 
this is an Ashaman. I got to kill him. Right. And like, doesn't, doesn't think, oh, this won't be bad. So <laughs> That's a good fail. Okay. Nice yeah. top three. Nice bottom three. Caden, do you have an entry? Yes. I'm going to have to change mine up a little bit here though now. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I'm going to go with uh, Thailand for number three. Mm. Yeah. Because... I know, I know we kind of debated this in the last podcast and she just doesn't have a lot of power before when she was queen of... Or I think she's queen. I think that's her title. The mm-hmm. But the Chan Chan roll up and she's getting all buddy-buddy with them and it feels like maybe she's got something good to go for her, but really the Sonic Chan still control what she has. So I feel like she really just is kind of a puppet in wherever she is. So that's why she's number three. Yeah, number two I had... Or maybe I should come back because I did have Pot and Fane as my number two because of, yeah, what happened... But I'll switch it and go for um, where I'm rioting because he he actually died uh, in the fight with Lan. He's this great so, blade master, and I mean it's hard to stand up to to Lan. Yeah, but still, he threw in a lot with Fane, and it didn't get him anywhere. And then I had Osungar as well for number one, but I think even more sad than like the whole fail there is that he's now been killed twice, right? Like he came back. <laughs> And got killed yeah. again, and literally in both times, he has done nothing. How like, many chances yeah. does he get? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it's like, man, he was so close to Rand for such a long time. Like, yep, could have done something, but nope. All right, my bottom three. Uh, I, I think it's kind of a cop out to say the Forsaken and Giant. Okay, I'm going to do two Forsaken. I'm sorry, two Forsaken are coming in. So Mogidians are going in for being a wimp, basically, and uh, not helping out the cause. Very poor showing from her. Number two, I'm going to put in Perrin's camp follower people. Basically, whoever believed the rumor that he slept with Berylaine, I think that's lame. And I think they should have had more trust in him. And yes, I get it. It's a divided camp and there's there's uh, extend, extenuating circumstances. It's a bad situation. But come on, let's you know stand up for the guy a little bit. I think that's lame. And then my number one is going to be Morden. Because I think he displays very poor leadership of the Forsaken, just ordering them around and not explaining enough. And ultimately, they spectacularly fail. And at the same time, I'm also curious, like, why, why is a Shamael rewarded by the Dark One with leadership after, like, he dies as well. Like, he does a poor job. He gets killed a few times by Rand and then ultimately, you know, finally done away with. And then his reward is to come back as Morden and be the leader, whereas people like Lanfear, who are killed, come back and they're like, this is your last chance or you're, you're done with, and Morden's got your leash. Like, that just doesn't seem fair. And I don't understand why Morden gets this, this acclaim. To be fair, he only died once. Rand thought he killed him the other times. Well, I know, but like, he fails more than once. He fails. Um, I think there's something he said about his loyalty. Lanfear... What, how much of what she is doing is for her loyalty okay. to the dark okay. one? Yeah, zero okay. percent. And then also, I've heard this argument, and I don't know like how well this pans out, but I've heard that since Ishmael was never like securely sealed into the dark one's prison, yeah. like with the rest of the Forsaken, like he could interact with the world. That since he was alive and conscious for that long a time, he just went crazy, and so it was like. Not really well, held he responsible. Out, like he he has been out in other times and yeah, caused a bunch of problems. 
Well, that's what I mean. He was never fully sealed away, which right. is why at, at the uh, the prologue of the first book, he's talking to Luce Theron. And so right. for not being for not being sealed away, he was like mentally aware from that time until the present and just kind of went crazy. And so when he dies and comes back as Moradin, that part of him is healed. And so now he's more capable, I guess. I mean, there is a big tone shift in the Ishamael from book one to Moradin now. I also, I this could be way off too. It seems like, so he, he draws on the Dark One's power more directly than the other ones, right? And they're always like, the other Forsaken are like, oh, that's scary. Like, I would do that uh-huh. except for in the dire circumstances. Yeah. So I don't know that this is true, but it feels like to me that the Dark One would have a lot more control over him because of that, which is another reason why maybe he's the nameless. But that, that could be way off and not true. But that that's the theory yeah. I have first time going through this. You'll get more into that type of thing later as well. One, one other person that, like Demon Dread, like yeah. like he's been like hyped up to be the big bad forsaken right yeah definitely so to go with your point steven like i would think that he would be the nablest though he doesn't have a great showing in the battle either like he's not able yeah. to accomplish much which is a little disappointing from how much he's been hyped up and how cool he seems yeah and again i think it goes back to motivation like i think he's loyal to the dark one more so than Landfear, but it's like and this is kind of a weak part of the forsaken in general they're all kind of there just because they have a grudge against Rand. At least most of the men, the men mm-hmm. forsaken are like, as you know, like it's not really. Their motivation is all kind of the same. They're, they're jealous yeah. of Rand because Luce Theron uh, uh, won up to them in some way. Interesting ones. Asmodian, that wasn't his, his reasoning for it. And Ishamael, that wasn't his reasoning for it. But, and, and I guess Arangar, Arangar is the one who did the, uh, he just like making shadow spawn. He was just kind of crazy. He, he, yeah, he was Belthamel or Agonor, one of the two. Yeah, Agonor, well, Agonor. That's I thought Osangar, Osangar, Osangar is Agonor. Yeah, Osangar is Agonor. I get Arangar confused because because you think Agonor would become Arangar to keep the A's, but right. It's not. <laughs> but yeah, so Osangar, like he was just kind of crazy and evil. But but anyways, so I don't know. Maybe that's the justification for why Morden is is Nablus. All right, top three. All right, top three. I'm going to go Rand, Nynaeve, and then I'm going to say Tuan, honestly. Okay, so Tuan number three, mainly because of how she reacted to Matt kidnapping her. And she was just like, oh, okay. And just like... She always thinks that she has the situation under control, even though she's literally kidnapped. Yeah, and I just love... I love, like, her... She had that mindset, like, when she's first introduced, you could tell, like, okay, here's a, a key player on the field now. Like, you can't really predict what's going to happen with her. And then Nynaeve and Rand are tied for first for cleansing Sidene and just thinking about, like, I think the way I understood it, they channeled all of the power through, like, if the power of Sidene and Sidar are in, like, pools of water, all the water from each pool was channeled through the Chodron Call in order to cleanse Sidene. And that's just, I don't know. So cool. Rand had a really cool book, in my opinion. Power three. Okay. Cadent. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree with you, Jake. I think that overall the main characters had a really strong showing in this book. But uh, my number three, I'm gonna maybe controversial. I'm gonna go with Cat Swain, because I actually don't really like her. But no, I feel she was like good. She was good in this book. She, well, yeah, she did do really good, right? I don't really like yeah. her character, but 
she yeah she got closer to Rand, which was her goal and she successfully defended Rand and Nynaeve during the final battle right which so without her really like I don't think Sidene would have got would have got cleansed yeah I'm going with Matt as number two mostly because I just love Matt and I feel like if he has a good book he has to make my top three but I I just think it's cool <laughs> that he survived the Golom twice now yeah. which I think is a huge huge thing and then he also successfully escaped from the Sanchan and Ebudar. Well, I think he has at least. He's he's getting there. And then number one, two. Yeah, I mean, can't get around it. Rand and Nynaeve together, cleansing Sidene is just pretty. If you're ranking in terms of like power and success, they kind of nailed it on the head. Yeah, it's it's hard to avoid Rand at number one. So I'll, I mean, he cl- he cleansed Sidene, right? That that's that's uh, not bad. So uh, we'll go. I'll I'll follow you guys and say he's number one. We're unanimous there. Number two, uh, trying to find someone else interesting that you haven't already taken because this this was like a hero book, right? Like in contrast to the previous one, our heroes are doing much better. So it's easier to choose our top three. Uh, I'll throw Min in there. I don't know if she's number two, but like she does continue to bravely go into dangerous situations with no magical power while she's surrounded by people who do have magical power. So that's cool and nicely done by her so she can be number three and number two can be i think it's got it i can't say anyone other than matt matt did really well he uh saved the ice to die he got tuan he got out of the city things were very much stacked against him nice job matt that's my top three not not original top threes were not original <laughs> all right so winter's heart done yeah just one more one more book of Things being a little slow, Caden, and then I don't know if the right word is uphill or downhill because downhill sounds like you're going down and bad, but it is, think of it like going downhill on a bike because it's going to just go so fast from Knife of Dreams on. I'm excited. No, this is, this is good. Yeah, I'm, I have much more confidence in you, Caden, that you will finish the series and enjoy it than my father, who I don't, I cannot say, <laughs> I, I cannot say with any confidence that he will finish because he is struggling right now in book six and he's going to get those boost pads. He's got to get the boost pads. He's got to get to do as wells. Yeah. That's a, that's the boost pad. That he, that that's the, yeah. That's it. the big boost pad. Yeah. <laughs> All right. If you like what we're doing, if you want to see our other wheel of time reviews or reviews of many other series, you can find more of Phantology at www.phantologybooks.com. Check out our YouTube and sub there for, Lots of different content, including videos, including funny videos, skits, YouTube skits. skits. Yeah, I mean, booktube stuff. Skits singular. Um, but more is coming, more, more booktube stuff. We recently did a video on the, the iceberg of science fiction and fantasy, like which series are most pervasive at the top to lesser known at the bottom. So that was fun. So uh, yeah, there's a lot going on at Phantology. If you want to just chat with us, you can do that on Discord and invites are in the episode descriptions. Thanks, guys. All right, Caden, thank, thank you again for giving us your first-time perspective. Thank you, Jake, for your expert perspective. <laughs> and I don't know if I can thank myself because I probably made a bunch of mistakes, but uh, I'm, I'm your host. Thanks, Steven. <laughs> My expert reading of the wiki. That's why you guys have me here, just to read the uh-huh. <laughs> All right, see you next time. Awesome. See you. Thanks, guys.